got a text to give feature, we've got a giving feature on our website, and we've got a Life Church app. We've afforded you several opportunities to partner with the Lord in giving. Hey, at this time, a friend of mine's coming to the platform, Andrew. He's making his way up. And he has a short testimony that he just wants to share with you that I believe is going to bless you and it's going to be impactful. And then after that, we've got a video that we want to show you guys. Hi, good morning. Uh, I want to speak a little bit about uh, the testimonies of the home group. Uh, we've been just discussing it and just kind of what has happened in the last couple of months since we started home group. Uh, the first thing that I've noticed as testimonies is Within the 12 leaders, pretty much 12 leaders, uh, I've seen these young leaders just go to the next level spiritually in confidence, in authority, in, in giftings, uh, in a posture of more of, hey, I'm the one that God's calling me to minister. And they've taken that role, you know, and I've watched them. And even when they didn't think, I'm like, wow, they've really changed in two months, and three months. Uh, second thing that we've seen uh, in, in our personal home group is really in that first hour, we just eat and we fellowship. Uh, but there's been just such an amazing aspect of us really becoming brothers and sisters. I'm really getting to know people. I'm knowing what they do for a living. Uh, they're not just that person on the third row or that person in the hall or working this, that we're really getting to know each other. And it's been, uh, it's been very powerful. And it's like people that are reserved, that don't speak, we've seen now just people beginning to truly engage, truly begin to be a part and come into active Christianity. And it's so easy to be very passive and become very religious throughout the week. We do this, we do that. But since in the last couple of months, even in my personal life, I've had to up my game spiritually because there's a demand there. And I think other leaders would say the same thing. We have upped our game, and I've seen the people that have come. We've had about 15 to 30 people in home groups come, uh, some a little less, and sometimes the place is packed. But the, one of the beautiful things that's happened in home group is we are inviting people and they're actually coming. And we were discussing how so many people we invite to church and they don't come. I mean, just so many, like 1% or even less, that we actually see them show up at church. But we've seen people come into our home groups and uh, people from this church and other churches and unbelievers and they've come in, and God has blessed them so powerfully. So the next thing we do is we've done uh, discussions, so it's a different format, where people are actually beginning to go in and out, ask questions, um, you know, raise their hands, and, and truly getting ministry uh, just so individual and personal in this, in this format. Uh, and the third thing that's really happened in our home meetings is during worship, so we'll have like 15 minutes sometimes, sometimes we worship for an hour, and God just shows up so powerfully, so powerfully. And there's been just such an angelic encounters there, just, uh, and the angels are coming, and there's reasons they're coming. Because what we do is we set it up for personal ministry pretty much almost every time, and there's been several people that we have prayed for, We've done deliverance and just the whole group coming in 
and, and ministering to them. It's not just me, it's not just I, but others coming around, ministering, praying for them, and really afterwards really seeing the manifestation of freedom. You know, we've actually had a couple come from Walker uh, to receive ministry, and they got it. You know, they weep the whole time, and you can see them being delivered. You see their peace, their presence. We've seen others. I've even seen some weeks later, and they're like, I'm still free. I'm still free. And for me personally, that's what I want to see. I want to genuinely see people come in and be delivered personally, set free and changed. And so there's, there's elements of uh, people visiting, coming in and out, and that's what I like. I don't want a, a cliquish thing. Uh, there's a good uh, flow in and out, because uh, that's what we want. We don't want just 10 people loving each other. We want the whole church through these other groups and things like that. So I just want to encourage you with these testimonies to join a home group. You know, people drive 40 minutes to come to my house. Everybody does, except for the other leaders. The, you know, there's sacrifice on all aspects. There's sacrifice even in your flesh. But do it, and you, I promise you, you will walk out, and you will be glad. And the last thing I want to say is, this is, a, this is an aspect of revival. We must be a unified church that love each other, that know each other, for revival to sustain. And I believe, and I seeing that, that we're going there. Thank you.
have a shrimp soup. Candy. I know. Why do you embarrassing thing Miss Tracy has ever done. How did you start like to be a pastor? Or was the Ark of the Covenant buried? Do you enjoy being a pastor? Oh. How did you meet Jesus? How did he see how in front of all those people and talk? I would ask him why is he such a good pastor? Can you make me barbecue sandwiches? Bible or like the and put it in all those gift bags. Maybe like a new Bible or a new Bible or something. I mean, if they will have a Bible, I would give them a Bible. A Bible. A Bible. A Bible. Or a Bible. Why do we have pastors? We have pastors because we have pastors. Because he talked to them. To teach the kids. We teach a lesson. So we can understand the Holy Spirit. To tell people about Jesus. So we can talk about Jesus. To like teach us about Jesus. So we can help us learn about the Word of God. To preach the Word to people in the Spirit here around the home. So we could um, know about God and so we could become Christians. I gave pastors the ability and he put that like he made them for a reason for Pat being a pastor and without them we would probably be lost. morning church as you can see one of the great bible lessons is uh what it says as we come to the lord as children <laughs> so uh as you see uh pastor appreciation uh we'd like to recognize of course uh our pastors and those that have been with us through the battles that have equipped us 
to be able to face the world that have equipped us to be able to go out into the world and to reach those that are lost and that are hurting. That's what pastors help us with. They help guide the sheep, guide us to be able to do what Jesus ministered us to take the gospel out to those and around about us. So I would like to call each and every one up here, if you wouldn't mind. <laughs> come, Mr. Tiger, Miss Christie, if you'd come, and we have a little gift to present you. I'd like you to continue standing here uh, for it. Mr. Nick, uh, Mr. Justin. and Tracy, and Mr. Josh, and Catalina. Of course, I know right now the, the wives aren't present, but I'm telling you each and every one of these ministers up here, uh, it is a, uh, me, if you don't know my background, I am a pastor's son, and it, it takes a family. It's not just one person. Uh, when, when God calls a, a pastor into ministry, he calls his family. Uh, so it, it is something that is, that is done as, the, as, the, as a whole family. Uh, the pastor, his wife, and his children are part of what I call the ministry of the, of the church. Pastor Bob and the first lady, Miss Sister Amanda. And uh, you have, we have a special presentation for Sister Amanda. And I have a, I guess you want to say, a, a, a special thanks. Over 18 years ago, uh, I was a, a, attending this church. And uh, one, of the, one of my prayers and knew that God planted me here for a reason. And in that planting, my prayer was for a pastor that would come to help to mature me, to help to bring out the things, the, the spiritual gifts that were within, to help me to mature in the word, to help me to press in things that I, I myself didn't see. And Pastor Bob came along. And from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you, not only as a pastor, but as a friend that you have helped me through these years to become the person that I am today. That's what pastors give up their time, give up of their energies to help us and to equip us each and every day that we can go out for the time that you've poured into my spirit. Thank you. And I know from each one of the congregation and members in there that, that you pour into us. And not only Pastor Bob, but Pastor Justin, Pastor Nick, Pastor Tiger, and Pastor Josh, what you've done to help us as a church. At this moment, I'd like us to pray for our pastor. Would you mind standing that, that we, we, they, have attacks 
from the enemy that we don't see, we don't know about. It's up to us that we pray the hedge of protection upon them, the hedge of, of knowledge of how to lead and guide us, that we may mature each and every day by the hand and the staffs that they there. They go out and find the one that has maybe come away and give that loving touch to come home. So if you mind stretching your hands out to our, our, our pastors and our leaders here. Father, this day, not only this day, but every day, we proclaim protection of angels round and about them. We anoint their feet this day, Lord, each and every one of their feet, that it is going out this day into, the, into our area, into Acadiana, into our hearts, Lord. We anoint those, the feet of them that they would go out, Lord, and minister in this area. Lord, right now, their families... Each and every members of their families, we pray that they are protected by your angels, Lord. We ask this day that your divine, your divine inspiration of their hearts, open up their hearts, Lord Jesus. Let them hear, let them hear the fine tuning of your word. From your word that was speaking from Genesis, Lord. Your word has been developed since Genesis. That word that their ears would be in tune with the word, Lord. That their ears would be drawn to each and every aspect of it Lord each and every day that they wake up that they draw closer and closer to you that they may develop us to hear what the Spirit is saying this day Lord Jesus prepare their hearts that they may prepare our hearts to go forth this day we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus amen Let me just say thank you from all the staff and, and I can't tell you how appreciative I am of those who have come and give of their time and here and um, we have a great group of people who have a heart and a vision for the church but for people as a whole and and uh, from Pastor Josh and Caitlin and Justin and Tracy and Tiger and Christy and Nick and Hannah and um, it's just you know 18 years ago we were looking at shutting the doors on this building and auctioning it off that's how bad things were and um, look where it was happening now and so you know, I'm so thankful for those who are here and they serve you and, and, and uh, they are such a blessing to me personally. And um, it's hard to explain, but when, you know, when people come alongside you and say, we're there for you and we're with you, boy, it just 
helps lift the load. How many of you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Amen. Uh, I have a message this morning, and and first of all, I want to say thank you for praying for me last week. And um, and and I don't know where Pastor Josh went, but I was going to tell him I don't like cold French fries either. <laughs> well, we had, we were in Arkansas uh, last weekend, and my wife had the service playing, and 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 uh, I heard cold side of fries and I said oh no 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 we ain't having that <laughs> so uh, he got my interest right off the bat with that title and uh, but I thank you for your prayer last weekend my my heart has settled down as of last Monday morning it has settled down and we praise God for that and uh, so went away to get people kept saying rest I said I came away to get rest I didn't but nobody's told my heart to get in get it get with it you know so anyway uh, but I do appreciate the prayers um, I need to say something before I get into the, the teaching can I do that um, uh, during the worship time there was there was there was uh, something taking place and in fact, Pastor Josh leaned over to me. He goes, what you want to do? <laughs> I said, I'm trying to figure this out, trying to sort it out. And, um, uh, but I have to tell you what came to mind. Well, there was a number of people who were in intercession, whether they realized it or not. There were others who were in deep worship. But Holy Spirit spoke a word to me and and I had to look it up to make sure that I understood it and I saw this first and then he spoke the word to me and those of you who've been here for a while you know I'm a I'm a visual learner and so God shows me things in pictures or whatever first and then gives me understanding from that and um as, as the worship was going on and one by one people began to stop playing, they began kneeling, whatever, I saw, I saw the world begin to grow. And the Holy Spirit said, great anguish. It was great anguish coming. And then they began singing the song of, that really comes from the book of Isaiah when Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. You know that scripture. If you don't, look it up. But if you understand the context of that passage of scripture, Isaiah was in great distress because King Uzziah had died. And there was a great unknown of what was going to follow. And, and he said it was in that time that he saw the Lord. And he saw the glory of God. And he, re, he began to repent. He said, I'm an unclean man with unclean lips, living among an unclean people. Basically, he cries out and says, I'm a dead man. And then God 
sends an angel and takes a coal of fire off the altar, touches him, and God begins to use him to prophesy. But as that was going on, I saw the world. I can't explain it to you. I saw a globe of the world, and I saw it begin to weep. And I felt great anguish in my spirit. And I felt Holy Spirit saying, there is great anguish coming. So I looked up the word anguish. It's a noun and a verb, depending on how it's used. But it means extreme pain, distress, or anxiety. And um, I believe that there, that... God is saying this is a time for the church to begin to intercede for the things that are coming and things that are happening already and understand that we can, we can sit back and go, but I'm saved. And that's wonderful. But there are billions that are lost. And the Bible says that in the last days there will be great anxiety and fear that comes upon the earth, upon the people of the earth because of the things that they perceive that are happening. And that's where great anguish and distress comes because that's what it means, great distress or anxiety or extreme pain. And so I don't know how that all fits together, but I do know that's what he was saying to me. And uh, I, in fact, I went to, it reminded me of in the book of Revelation where it says that before the next seal took place, he said there was 30 minutes of silence in heaven. And uh, I believe it's personally, it's because of the severity of what's about to take place following that next thing that takes place in the scripture is so great that it causes 30 minutes of silence. It's so severe. Just kind of like a <gasps> moment. And so uh, there are things that are happening in the world right now. I'm just telling you, there are things that are happening in the world. And, and God, is, God is in control. And I'm not worried about that. He's in control. But we cannot be, go blissfully through every day not aware of this fact. And so if, 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 any, if you don't get anything from what I'm saying right now, ask God to show you and begin to pray because there is great distress coming upon the earth. I saw the world crying and I heard those cries. That's all I can say. It's time for the church to step forward. Amen. It's time for the church to step forward. I'm going to read from the book of Matthew, chapter 12, about four or five verses here. It says, And then one was brought to him, Jesus, who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him, so that the blind and the mute man both spoke and saw, and all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now I'm going to skip down to verse... 38, 
And it says, and then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the title is simply, Here's Your Sign. Now, um, probably all of us have heard that the old Boudreaux Thibodeau joke. In fact, it was the very first, when I moved to Louisiana in 1983, it was the first Boudreaux Thibodeau joke I ever heard. And, and so that's why it sticks out in my mind, I guess. But it's the one, you know, where Boudreaux and Thibodeau standing by the side of the road and, and they're holding a sign that says, the end is near. How many have heard that one? They said, the end is near. And as cars would speed by, you know, they'd yell at, you know, you crazy religious nuts, you know. And they're, they're holding the sign, the end is near, the end is near. And all of a sudden they'd hear a crash. And then Boudreaux looked at Thibodeau and said, maybe we should put, change the sign to the bridge is out. <laughs> Can I tell you that reading a sign and understanding a sign are two distinct things. The end is near. They weren't lying. But it really didn't convey the truth that the bridge was out. Okay? I want you to remember that part at the end of this message today. I was reading several articles when I was on... Uh, we took a few days off. I went to Arkansas to compete in a barbecue competition and... God blessed, and we did, did well with that. And then I just said to my wife, I said, look, I need a few days rest. Let's just take a few days off. And so we did. And, but I, I, I'm, I have to read. I have to, I have to keep up with what's going on and stuff like that. And, and uh, um, I came across several articles that were follow-up articles of things that are happening in Florida following the hurricane uh, Ian that went through there and there were two or three articles that really caught my attention and and they were focused on uh, individuals that had lost everything and but the focus was on the fact that these people were not expecting the storm surge that they actually received okay you know, we, we who live in South Louisiana, we, we, when we hear hurricanes, we, we hear wind. You know, usually that's the number one thing everybody focuses on. You know, the wind. How strong is it? Category one, two, three. Oh, it's up to 140 miles an hour. And then we usually focus on how fast is the storm moving. You know, if it's a slow storm, I remember moving in the middle of Hurricane Juan which sat off the coast of Louisiana for three and a half days and did not move. It was a Category 1, just barely Category 1, but it dumped rain for three and a half days. And my wife and I and my children, we moved into a house in four and a half feet of water. You say, well, how'd you move in the house? The house was 10 feet off the ground. And we had to drive a truck down through the roads, which didn't make my neighbors happy because that was sending 
waves into their house, you know, good way to make new neighbors, you know, but, you know, so we think about the way we win, we think about the amount of rain, but we always hear about the coast along, the people along the coast, the storm surge. And that's the part where the water comes in and just keeps on coming, you know. If you've ever watched a tsunami, you know, if you, they always tell you if they, you're standing there and all of a sudden all the water just goes out and just keeps going out, run. Because it's coming back, but it's coming back in a huge wave. Well, a, a, a storm surge is not just the, 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 how high the tide is, but it's the water on top of the water, and it just starts coming in. And, and just, anyway, I was reading about it, and, and what was crazy was that the storm surge was in, in certain areas was predicted. It was it was told by the weather people to be to expect somewhere as high as fifteen to eighteen feet. And they were telling these people this, but the people they were interviewing in the article didn't leave or they didn't believe it because they said we've, we've lived here for 35 years and they always say that about the storms and we've never had a storm surge like that. We, usually it's a few feet of water or you know, higher than normal or whatever. And now what they were doing is they did follow up and they found houses that were two stories high and they had water 15 to 18 feet had gone through and the people had lost everything and they just and they were saying things like it can't be it, it, we we weren't expecting it and and or or we didn't think it really could happen or it wasn't supposed to be like this. I read that and I went, what do you mean it's not supposed to be like that? It was a hurricane and they were telling you, you could expect in that part of the coast, you could expect a storm surge of up to X number of feet. And the people were saying, we had no idea that it could really be this bad. So it, it wasn't that they weren't told, it wasn't that they weren't understanding the sign. The, the, the weather people were telling them this is what the storm surge can be, but they said, we've never seen it. We've never, we've lived here all our lives. We've never known anybody that's had anything like that. So it possibly, it can't possibly happen. And of course it happened and they were so, so wrong. And, and then they dove into the individual stories and my heart really broke for so many of those people who have lost so much and, and, and um, but the problem was they were not looking at what the, the weather forecasters were telling them in the context of the whole storm. They were the either, most of them said we were looking at the wind and we were convinced our buildings would withstand the wind. But they really didn't understand the context of the whole storm, which included the waves and the surge and the amount of rain and everything else. I mean, we saw, you remember the pictures where uh, the bay that was there completely, all the water was gone. It just got sucked up by the storm and then it was taken inland and it was dumped there. And, and, and so the, the people understood it. They heard the warning, but they didn't understand it. Just like the end is near versus the bridge is out, okay? And so a lot of people, and, and, and so I was thinking back to, to the time of Jesus. And, and in the times of Jesus, you may know this, you may not know this, but 
the, the rabbis of the, in the day of Jesus, they taught that there were two different kinds of miraculous signs, okay? That there would be signs that anyone could perform if so empowered by God, okay? Like Elijah called out fire from heaven or raised somebody from the dead or, you know, something like that. In other words, they believed that there were two categories of miracles and ones that God enabled a person to do and the second one were, were miracles that they said only Messiah will be able to do. And the reason they said this is because that when they said that that way we know when Messiah comes, we'll be able to recognize him because of the signs that he is able to do, okay? Now, when Jesus was alive on the earth he, and, and, and in flesh on earth, he performed both kinds of miracles. He did all kinds of miracles. But there were three distinct miracles that the rabbis in first century taught that only Messiah would be able to do. And I've taught on this before several years ago on a different topic. But they, the reason, again, for these messianic miracles is that they, in and of itself, they would be a sign to the Jews that the Messiah has come. Okay? That was the purpose of it. So let me, let me quickly just go through these three signs with you. The first one was that they taught that there would be, uh, that he would be able to heal a Jewish person with leprosy, okay? To heal a Jewish leper. The, the Mosaic law states that a person can only be defiled by a live, let me, let me back up this person. We, we know, or you, you may know, that the, the law teaches that if a person who is alive touches anything that's dead, okay, a human body, a dead animal, um, uh, uh, or, or an unclean animal, such as a pig or something like that, uh, that person becomes unclean. But the only person or the only living thing that is alive that could make a person unclean is a person with leprosy. You follow what I'm saying? So all the other things were like, if you touch a dead body, you become unclean. And there's a ceremony for, for removing that uncleanness. If you, if, if you touch somebody that is diseased with a certain disease, <clears throat> you become unclean, uh, you know, a dead, a dead animal. You become unclean. But if a person is alive and has leprosy, they're a living human being, and you come in contact with them, then you would become unclean. And, un, and, and, and so leprosy affects everything in, in that day. They, it affected everything as it was considered unclean, and it was associated with sin. In fact, there's, there's a thing that even talks about in the law, um, if a streak is found on your wall and the priests come and inspect it, that your house can be made unclean. So there's all, all kinds of these things, but this thing about leprosy is that um, one could not come in contact with people who were afflicted with leprosy. The, the afflicted person needed, get this, if you had leprosy, most of the time you were put out of the city or whatever and you lived with others who had leprosy. 
But if you happened to have to move or travel, you had to travel in such a way that you were always downwind. Okay? And, and not only that, if a leper was to come nearby, they had to shout out, unclean, unclean. Imagine this. And it's bad enough that you're suffering with this horrible disease, but now you're having to announce it to the whole world that you're unclean. And so from the time of Moses and the completing of the Mosaic law, listen to me now, from the time of Moses and the completing of the Mosaic law, no leper had been healed in Israel. Now, immediately people always say, oh, but Miriam got leprosy. But that was before the Mosaic law was completed. You can look it up in Numbers 12 and 10. Uh, Naaman was healed, right? Remember the story of Naaman got leprosy, but Naaman was not a Jew. And so, but from the time of, that God gave the law, in fact, there are over 100 verses in the law dealing with leprosy how to identify it, how to deal with it, how to recognize it, and how to determine if a person has been healed by it, okay? Over a hundred verses God had given to Moses in the law, and from the time that he gave it and it was completed, not one case of <clears throat> leprosy had been, had been reported where they, a Jew had been healed of leprosy. Now, why would God give a hundred verses in the law and nobody had ever been healed by it? And so it was, it was taught that Messiah will heal a Jewish leper. That will be one sign. And so when you get to the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, in the very first chapter, what does it start off with? The healing of a leper, a Jewish leper. And the man comes to Jesus and he kneels before him and he says, if, it's, if you're willing, you can cleanse me. In fact, look at it, Mark 1, verse 42 through 45. As soon as he had spoken, immediately leprosy left the man and he was cleansed and he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said, see that you say nothing to anyone, but look at this next part, but go your way and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. As a testimony to who? To the priest. In other words, what Jesus was telling them was, this is the opportunity for you to go tell the priest and show them. And there was a whole process for seven days. This person who claimed to be healed from leprosy, they would scour his body, every inch of the individual's body, looking for leprosy. And for seven days, they would go through this whole process. I mean, it was, it was a painstaking process. But he says, don't tell anybody else, but go and tell the priest, show the priest, offer the cleansing that is required by the law as a testimony to them. Because what was the testimony? Messiah has shown up. Does that make sense? Okay. And so that's what he tells them to do. And so he says, show them for a testimony. So when the word of this miracle spread, the religious people come to investigate the testimony that Messiah has come. Look at this in Luke chapter 5, verse 17. It says, one day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law, and I've underlined this for you to see it, 
who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. Why? Because the, the rule was that if anybody ever claimed to be Messiah and did something, that there would be, it would call for an investigation. And not by just the local rabbi or the local council or whatever. They would bring rabbis or Pharisees and Sadducees from all over the area. And they would begin this investigation. So that's why Jesus said, go and offer the cleansing and go and show yourself to the priest as a testimony to them. So in the next thing we see, all of a sudden, here come the religious leaders They've getting word, Messiah's shown up. Somebody says Messiah's come. Somebody's, a leper's been healed. Never happened before. No Jewish leper's been healed before. And, and, and now all of a sudden, this part of the law that's been sitting here dormant for hundreds and hundreds of years, all of a sudden is now being enacted. And so that was the first miracle, the first messianic miracle. The second one is the healing of a man who is born blind. Okay? Um, the Pharisees taught that only Messiah could heal someone who had been born blind, you know, since birth, okay? And in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 32, Jesus broke the tradition of the religious leaders when he healed a man who had been blind from birth. How many of you remember that story? You remember that story? And... and Jesus put mud and water in the blind man's eye, which was to the Pharisees unclean. <laughs> Guy's got a disease, man, and you're touching him. And, and, I mean, Jesus is breaking all the religious rules. He's doing all these things. And when, when the question that the blind, when they question, when they find out that the blind man is healed, they call him to, to testify. Who did this? How did this happen? And, and they interrogate him through the whole thing. And they don't believe that it's him. They think that somehow somebody found, you know, a doppelganger, you know, a lookalike and, and substituted this guy for this guy, you know, who could see. And, and they're like, it can't be. So go get his parents. And they go get his parents to investigate them. And we pick up in John chapter 9, it says, we know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know that he was born blind. But how he can see now and who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. And it goes on and says, it says, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, would be put out of the synagogue. They knew his testimony was true, so they called his parents in. Is this your son? He goes, this is our son. Yes, he was born blind. How he got healed, ask him. We're not saying anything. So we have two instances of where he has, he, he, he's done two of these miracles. He's, he's healed a man who was born blind. He's healed a Jewish leper. And the third one, they said that only Messiah would be able to do would be to, to cast out a person who is mute because of a demon. He cannot speak because of a demon. 
And, and, and the reason, let's look in scripture here, Matthew 12, verse 22, 23, it says, Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him so the blind man, blind and mute man could both speak and see. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? And what we have to understand is that in the days of Jesus, there were exorcisms, that were done by religious priests, that were done under the auspices of Judaism, okay? That wasn't unusual for someone to cast out a demon, okay? For, but the, the method that they, they used was the formula, and the formula was that they would ask the person who has a demon, what is your name? How many of you remember when Jesus went into the land of Gadara and the demon-possessed man comes running? Remember, he was running through the, living in the cemetery among the tombs, cutting himself. He was naked. Nobody could control him, whatever. And a man comes running to Jesus and he says, why have you come? Why are you here? Why, you know, what are you doing? And what did Jesus do? He said, what is your name? He said, my, our name is Legion for we are many. And, and, and Jesus goes to cast them out. And, and he says, don't, don't cast us out there. Let us go into those swine over there. And so Jesus allows them to do that. That was the method. That was the way that a religious rabbi or teacher would cast a demon out. But the problem is, if the person is mute and cannot speak, then they cannot ask the individual what is your name so that we know how to address you to cast you out? And so they taught that when Messiah comes, he'll be able to cast a demon out of a person who is mute and cannot speak. And that's why you see in this verse that's on the screen, and the multitudes were amazed, not because he cast a demon out, whereas in today's church, if a demon got cast out, you'd have people running for the doors. I've seen it, I've done it, I know what I'm talking about. A demon manifests himself and men, Christians who are all jumping and singing victory songs are running for the aisles, man, scared to death because of some little demon. But they asked this question, could this be the son of David? Now you have to understand that the, that is a title that is reserved for the Messiah. They're saying, look what he's done. He's healed a Jewish leper. He's healed a man who was born blind. And now he's cast the devil out of a man who is mute. Could this be Messiah? This is what they're asking. This is why they're saying this. Because we've been told these are the three things that only Messiah would be able to do. And, and he's done them. He has, I mean, can you say, can I say it this way? Jesus has poked the religious bear. <laughs> I mean, he's like, he said, look what I just did. And, 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 if, if, and, and so all of a sudden, and, and, and what's interesting is that this, 
This phrase is used in three out of the four Gospels. The people ask, could this be the son of David? In other words, could this be the Messiah? And if you go back and read what happens at this point, <clears throat> the religious leaders turn to, the, to each other and go, if we say this is the Messiah, then the people are going to want to know why we don't follow him. But <clears throat> if we follow him, we're going to lose our position. And so what do they do? They turn around and say, this, he doesn't cast out devils by the, by the power of God. He casts out devils by the prince of devils, Beelzebub. And Jesus told him, he said, you can, you can say whatever you want against the Son of Man, but, if you, but you blaspheme the Holy Ghost. And you know what blasphemy of the Holy Ghost is? Attributing something that you know is God to the devil. And they blaspheme. He said, there's no forgiveness for that. Because they had been teaching the people, Messiah will do three miracles, and when he does, we'll all know that's Messiah. Jesus has now done them, and what do they do? They said, no, he's not cast out devils by the power of God. He's cast out devils by the prince of devils himself. And I'll give you one more thing to, to, let, to, to help you understand something. Because up until this time, Jesus had come to declare his Messiahship to the people of the Jewish nation. He was sent to the house of Israel. And the Bible says they rejected him. And because of their rejection of him, we, who are non-Jews have been able to be grafted in and adopted into the family of God. Because of their rejection of his claim as Messiah, we now have the opportunity to believe in Christ. Because the house of Israel rejected him. Okay? But here, here's, here's the thing. Up until that point, they all said of Jesus and his teaching, they said, we've never heard teaching like this before. It's so... It's so refreshing. It's real. It's genuine. It's, I understand it. All of these things that he's saying. From that point on, from the time that they, they rejected Christ, Jesus began to speak parables. From that point on. Why? In fact, if, read it in Matthew 12. Go back and read. All of a sudden, after the people left, the disciples come to Jesus and go, we have no clue what you're talking about. Why all of a sudden you went from being super clear and understanding, talking in these stories that we don't understand, can you explain them to us? Because at that point, the Jewish leaders had rejected Christ. And his mission changed from winning Israel as Messiah to, to preparing his disciples for the church. Now, God has not rejected Israel God is going to draw Israel back. That's what part of the tribulation is all about. But my point in telling you all of this is that the people asked, is this the Messiah? And you know what they did? They listened to the religious leaders rather than take what they had been taught and make the application themselves. And can I tell you, people today are no different. Rather than dig it out for themselves, they'll ask somebody else, what do you think? And they'll say, well, my pastor said. 
or I heard this preacher say, or this evangelist say. Now, what's interesting is that they refused his messianic claim in three different stages. The process was that when a claim was made of being Messiah, the Jews, the first thing they would do is come and investigate. Go read the story of John the Baptist. When John the Baptist is baptizing and all the people are coming, the, all the religious people are standing up there on the top. And, and John the Baptist is so great, right? He goes, who warned you? Who warned you to flee the judgment that's coming? Who warned? They didn't say anything. They were just watching day after day and reports were going back to what he was doing. Until finally they start to investigate and they go on to the next thing. And they begin to ask questions. And so and what we see here is that they even rejected the individuals that were healed who said, this is how I was healed. This is what was done. And they said, we don't, we don't even accept that. We reject it. And then the third stage was that the religious leaders outright rejected him. So they investigate first. Then they do the interviews of people. Tell me how you got healed. Tell me how you got healed. Tell me how you got healed. We don't accept that. That doesn't fit into our formula. It doesn't fit into our, our ideas. And finally they just said, and we reject the person's name and the person that you say healed you. That's what they did. It was in three different processes there. But Jesus began to train his people for something. And I want you to see something here. In Matthew 12, and it says, And then some of the scribes and the Pharisees, we read this earlier, answered saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now Jesus, they, they'd been teaching for years. When Messiah comes, he'll do these three things. He's done those three things, and now they want another sign. We want a sign from you. We want a sign from you. Like, we deserve something more. And Jesus goes on and says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And I want to show you something, that how this is fulfilled. It happened, Lazarus, Jesus, and it'll happen a third time with the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. And the two witnesses preach in Jerusalem to the Jews and the religious leaders of the day. They're killed left in the streets, and three and a half days later, they're raised from the dead in front of everybody. Jesus said, there'll be no sign for you except the same sign that Jonah, three days and nights in the belly of the whale. Lazarus was in the grave for more than three days. Jesus was in the grave for three days, and the two witnesses will be in the streets dead for three and a half days. He said, this is the only sign that you're going to get. And all of them for three days. So let me give you four real quick applications about signs. And that is that signs are meant to point or reveal 
a truth. Okay? In Luke chapter 21 and 7, it says, What sign will there be when these things are about to take place? The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, When are you going to set up your kingdom? What sign will there be that these things are about to take place? Okay? The disciples asked them, We need to know when, what will be the sign that you're about to set up your earthly kingdom? And so... We have it right here. These signs are meant to reveal something, a truth, or something for us to see as a road mark or like a road sign. Okay. The second thing is people will not accept signs even when they see them. I can't tell you how many times I've had people say, well, if I could just see. And yet you go over the things that God has done for them in their life or God has spared their life or whatever. Yes, but if I could just see, if you can't see God in that and you're not willing to accept that God saved you, delivered you, intervened in your life, no other sign is going to change your mind. I'm just telling you that's just the way, the way it is. Jesus responded to the crowds in his day. He said, in John 6, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. In other words, I've already done miraculous signs, but the minute I put food in your belly, all of a sudden, I'm the guy you want to follow. And the masses followed Jesus for the temporary benefit they received, even though he had done signs and wonders leading up to that point. They weren't there for the signs and wonders. They came back because he fed them fish and chips. Right? Because the second day they come back again and they're like, are you going to feed us fish and chips again? And he goes, no, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, You'll have no part in me. And they said, ooh. And they all left. Said, if you can feed their belly, if you can give them a temporary satisfaction. And can I tell you a lot of times what's spilling from the pulpits of churches all across America today is something to give them a temporary satisfaction. And when that wears off, they go in someplace else to find something else to, to fill that empty void. But I'm telling you, when you eat right and, and, you, and you get off to that pablum, you get off that milk, and you get on the meat of God's word, that'll sustain you. I'm just telling you. And, 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 and uh, people, they, they haven't changed. The third thing I will tell you is that signs are meant to reaffirm what we already know. In other words, John the Baptist was sent to prepare the people to receive Messiah. And John declared openly Jesus was the Lamb of God who, took away, who takes away the sins of the world. Remember that? He preached that. 
He preached it. He was sent to preach, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But we know what happens later. John ends up in prison and he's there for, we don't know how long he was there. And, and, and he's hearing things, but now he's having doubts. Can I tell you, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I don't care how spiritual you are or how deep you are in your faith. There will come times that there, the enemy comes and tries to plant doubt. There are things that you know, and we say, I know that, but. And John the Baptist was at a place right there, and, and, and the Bible says this, that when John heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? This is the John who had said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He, this is the one that Jesus said of all the prophets of the Old Testament. None was greater than John. And yet he sends disciples to Jesus because he's hearing that Jesus is doing all these miracles and things. And he goes, Are you the one that we've been waiting for, or should we be looking for another one? And I love Jesus' response. He doesn't condemn. He, he doesn't say, John, you know better than that. Holy Ghost was on you in the womb. You, you, you know, he doesn't tear John down. What does he do? He responds to the disciples and he answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. He says, go tell them what you see. In other words, go tell them the signs that you're seeing and the things that you're hearing. Go tell them. Why? Because those signs, those things were meant to reaffirm in John what John had declared earlier. Can I tell you, God will do things for you sometimes just to reaffirm who he is and whether you are worthy or not. Because he loves us enough. He cares enough about us. He knows how we're made. He knows our weaknesses. He knows everything about us. And there will be times that he will do something. He will give a word. He will do something in some way to manifest himself to you that goes, that's my God. That'll pull you out of that pit and set you back up where you need to be. He said, tell them what you see. Tell them what you're hearing. Go back and tell them. And I can only imagine, it doesn't really tell us, but I can only imagine when they went back and told John all those things. I could see John in the prison. <sighs> My work is done. My work is done. They reaffirmed to John what John knew. And the last thing is, if we fail to recognize the signs, we won't know the bridge is out. <clears throat> I was reflecting uh, 
this past week on a number of events that are taking place in the world right now. And I don't have time to go into those things. Some of you may remember a few weeks ago, I told you, Lord, show me three storms coming in 90 days. And I said, there were geopolitical things, there were natural things. And and, and there were financial things. And I'm telling you, the things that are happening in, 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 in the geopolitical arena right now in the world are unprecedented, unreal. I don't have time to go into all those things. But I was reflecting on those things right now. And I began reading uh, different posts and articles and thoughts by Christians who were saying, I believe these are the last days because of what we're seeing. And many Christians were taking the position, oh, you're crazy, this is just normal stuff, this comes and goes all the time. And it made me realize that none of the dramatic signs taking place seemed to have convinced them of the time in which we're living. So I said, Lord, I know there's all kinds of signs in the last days. You talk about earthquakes, famines, pestilence, you know, you know, all these things are going to take place in the, as signs in the last days. In fact, you said they were, those in and, in and of itself are not the end times. Those are just the prelude to the end times. I said, what sign? Is there a sign? And, and, and in all my years, it served the Lord, over 50-something years, I've never had this thought until this past week, driving back from Arkansas Friday. And the Holy Spirit said, there's one. And he turned me to this passage, this verse. Do not say there are still four months until the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Jesus was emphasizing the look. Don't just look. Like driving down the road 60 miles an hour and you're looking. No, look. Just really look. And he says, look at the fields. They're white already for harvest. I feel the Holy Spirit saying, do you understand? The fields are ripe now. The reason they're ripe now is because I'm about to return. I'm about to come back, but I am waiting for a harvest. I'm looking for the harvesters. What more of a sign do you need? And I felt almost chastised a little bit by the Holy Spirit and that he said, look at these events, look at the things that are taking place, but the greatest sign of all is the great harvest of souls that I have said will come in the last days and the harvest is ripe 
even now. It's not six months from now, a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now. It's right now, and it's people who are coming to Jesus Christ through the drawing of Holy Spirit as the good news is shared by those who have experienced it. And I feel him say, if the church of Jesus Christ truly believed in the last days, then why are they living unaware of this sign? They run from meeting to meeting to see signs. They run from place to place to get a sign, to hear a word or whatever. He said, but I'm telling you the greatest sign there is is the fields are white unto harvest. They're ready now. When will people look and see what time it is? It's now. It's not tomorrow, it's not next week, it's not next month, it's now. It's now, it's now, it's now. And I said, oh, Holy Spirit, open our eyes to the times in which we are living now. That we would see the world as Jesus already does. That we would see the world desperate for his touch and to, for healing and for deliverance from the clutches of the enemy. The signs that Jesus performed were to declare who he was to the Jewish people. They rejected him. And so doing, allowing us to hear the gospel that we might be saved, that we might come to know salvation, that we might know the good news, but not just to know it, not to put it under our seat or hide it in the closet, but to take it into the world that we're in, those that were around. That's the sign of the last days. To me, the greatest sign of the last days is a people of God who are sharing that Christ is coming again and that what Christ can do to save them, deliver them, heal them, all of those things, that's the greatest sign. I pray that God let us realize that each day that he gives us, that it's not about us. It's about the people around us that need to know the Lord. I mean, really know the Lord. They don't need to hear four spiritual laws. They don't need to hear something that you learned in a class and you can go, well, number one is this, number two is this, number three is this. They need to hear, who is Jesus to you? What did he do for you? How did he heal you? How did he deliver you? And know that he wants to do the same for them. Please don't get me wrong. We need to know the word. We need to know the scripture. But what people don't want to hear is religious jargon. What they want to hear is the reality of Christ. John the Baptist said, he said, he must increase and I must decrease. It, we, we've got to change the mindset of the church that it's all about us and what we can get from God and realize that he's given us the greatest gift that there is. He's given us the spirit of God who dwells within us and bears witness to his word. And then he's given us the incredible opportunity to go and share this good news with those who need good news. How many people, if you walked up to them and just said, could you use a piece of good news today? Could you use some good news today? I guarantee you most of the people would say, I sure could. There's your, in, there's your door. There's the avenue right there. You begin to share Jesus, who he is, what he did.
I love the little, there's a little girl on the thing that says, how did he come to know Jesus? I know how I came to know Jesus. And I'm so thankful that I did. But how many people out there need to know Jesus? I mean, know Jesus. I want to pray just simply, Lord, you must increase and I must decrease. It's all about you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, right now, all across this place, we just pray right now that you would, Holy Spirit, look in our hearts and speak to us right now. He said, look, for the fields are already white unto harvest. Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. in this place today or you're watching by way of the internet and you would say Pastor Bob he must increase and I must decrease because it's all about him and if that's your prayer this morning would you just lift your hand I mean I want to pray for you I'm raising my hand too. Jesus. Lord, a lighthouse has one purpose. And that's to shine a light to warn of rocky shores and to show the path to safety. God, that we might see ourselves as that lighthouse. At every place that we go, we're letting the light shine that others might see and might be drawn. Drawn to us that we might share the good news. Holy Spirit, focus our vision. Let it be on Jesus. Let it be on Jesus. Let it be on Jesus. Yes. Oh, yeah. 
but to see the harvest as it truly is, ready to be brought in. All you're looking for is those who are willing to do the labor, Lord. We say, here we are. Here I am. We come to you, Lord. We come to you, Lord. We come to you, Lord. Mighty God, mighty God, mighty God. Let the harvest begin, Lord. Let the harvest begin. Come on. Come on. Can you join with me in prayer right now? Can you just join? God, let the harvest begin. Let the harvest begin. Let the harvesters begin the work. God, send us into the fields and let the harvesters begin. It's not time to wait another week or another month or four months. It's time is to reap as now. As the world cries out in anguish and groans for the restoration of all things. God, let the harvest begin. Jesus. Father, I pray for that one who thinks that they're not able, that they're not ready to be used by you. God, if they have a relationship with your son Jesus, Father, then they're ready to share that message. Let them share boldly and declare with confidence. That's all you call us to do is to share the good news and Holy Spirit will draw. Holy Spirit will bring them in. That's His job. We pray this, Lord God. I believe that I know every person in here, I believe it, but if you're, if you're not right with God and you need the Lord, this is the place to do it right now. If you would say, hey, Pastor Bob, pray for me. I, I need to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I need to give myself wholly to Him. Would you pray for me right now? You Lift up your hand. I want to pray for you if that's where you're at. I, most of you I know, but I, 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 if that's you, I pray for you right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you right now. You didn't come by accident today. You came because the Holy Spirit drew you here. And you knew this was the day. This is it. This is, this is what it is. Because the time is short. I said the time is short. We pray this, Lord, right now. We surrender everything. We give you everything in our lives. Everything about us, Lord, we give it to you. I pray for them right now. God, let them walk out of here going, it was good to be in the house of the Lord. It was good. We are refreshed. We, we are reaffirmed that, God, we made the right choice. We made the right decision to know you. Jesus, we thank you. Hallelujah. Bless you, God. You have a song. Will you meet? Me here again. Would you stand together? I'm not in Let's just take a moment to give God praise. Let's come. Will you meet me here again?
Is there anyone here you need prayer? You need someone to lay hands on you for a touch in your body. Anyone? Anyone at all? Miss Brenda, you do? Anyone else need a touch? Anyone else? If you need a touch in your body, why don't you come? If you're able to, if not, stay right where you're at. We're going to have believers go lay hands on you. Come on. Come on. Come on. Will you be hey, he did. He healed the sick. And he still does. I'm standing here as living proof. So Paralyzed. God so healed me. You are. I'm telling you, he can do. There's nothing too hard for our again. God. I need some people who know God heals. And so wants to heal. I want you to come stand behind. Y'all step forward about one more step. I'm going to let so someone, two or three people come stand behind you. Will you we'll begin to lay hands on you again. and begin to pray. Come on. Begin to, lay, begin to lay hands on, begin to pray. Come on. You know God heals. Come on. Come on. Lay hands on. In the name of Jesus. You say, well, isn't it the pastor supposed to do that? No, the church is supposed to do that. God's people are supposed to do that. Look, we got a couple more over here. Come on. Lay hands on them. Lay hands on them. Begin to pray right now. Come on. Come on. In the name of Jesus. 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 Sickness be gone, disease be gone, infirmity be gone, affliction be gone, right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Right now. Right here, right now. So you are. Mighty God, mighty God, mighty God, Unless mighty God. You come, Jesus. Will you meet Jesus. Me again? Jesus. Oh, yes, Lord. Thank you, Father. Want, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Right now, in Jesus' are, name. In Jesus' will you name. Me here be healed. Again. Be healed. Be healed. Be healed. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Mighty God, mighty God, mighty God. Will you meet me here again?
forsaken the lord is in this place the lord is in this place come holy spirit dry bones awaken the lord is in this place the lord is in this place not for a minute was i forsaken the lord is in this place the lord is in this place come holy spirit dry bones awaken the lord is in this place the lord is in this place not for a minute was i forsaken the lord is in this place oh the lord is in this place come holy spirit travels awaken the lord is in this place the lord is in this place i'm not enough unless you call will you meet me again Cause all I want is all you are. You meet me here again. 